a listener production. Greetings. Welcome back. You are listening to episode 109 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring the incredible Tony Hawk. Let's drop back in. Mate, I digressed a little bit. I'll get us back on track. Take me in your prime to the top of the ramp. Explain to me the physical, spiritual and mental process involved in performing at your best. Um, it's, it's definitely focusing inward and blocking any distractions out, blocking out noise, um, other skaters, uh, maybe even what other skaters were doing, like what, how, how they were performing and just, just zeroing in on everything that you're capable of. And you, I can't, you know, it's that thing you get in the zone and when you're in the zone, you absolutely know it. And you know that you can take some chances and it's one of the, it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing that feeling. And do you get in the zone from practice and experience and hard work, or do you get there because it's just the day where things are clicking? What gets you into that position that athletes talk about with reverence, which is what you're doing now, mate? It, it's both. Um, some days you're, you just click into it, even if you're not in a competition and you think, wow, I'm, I'm really on point today. I, you know, everything, everything's in sync. I got the rhythm. I could probably try something that I've never tried before. And those are, those are pretty rare moments, but they're amazing. When you're in a competition, you've got to kind of force yourself into that mode. And so it doesn't happen spontaneously. It's like, today's the day. It's the biggest event of your lifetime. You better find that place. You better get in that zone. And sometimes it takes a lot of work. Can you take me, we'll get to the 900 shortly, but can you, can you take me through a run that you've performed in a massive X game competition? Uh, uh, I don't know if you know Scotty James, the snowboarder. Um, he's also been on this show and he took us through a run. He, he was putting his mind into a run. Could you just try and do something similar for me that you're at the top, what you're thinking about, how you're progressing through and how you're completing what you're doing, if you know what I mean, if that's not too much sure. of an airy-fairy question? Um, yeah, well, I, I guess I feel like one of, my, one of my best performances that I ever had was yep. one like 97 X Games when it was in San Diego. Um, or there was a 99 World Championships in Germany. Everyone focusing on the man who is at the top of the ramp and at the top of his game. We'll analyze this for you in a minute. Let's enjoy with the crowd, Tony Hawk on the program. And I remember both of those vividly because during the warm-up, I already felt like I was, I was, I just had it. I had, I had the moves. I had, I was in the zone. Um, everything was clicking. And so I couldn't wait for the contest to get started. And usually I'm dreading that time when they tell me to drop in. And this one was like, let's do this. Let's hurry. Let's go. Let's get it on. I'm, I'm ready. And so when I'm about to drop in, I have this routine mapped out on the ramp. I know which tricks flow better into which other tricks. I know exactly where to land a certain trick to be set up for the other wall because huh. there's, a, there's a feature, there's a gap, or there's an extension on it. And all of those nuances are already, are already programmed into me. So I know how to adjust in the, in the, in the moment. Hawk has stepped up the difficulty factor from start to now. Is there such a thing as a perfect run? 
He is the innovator of so many different tricks. 360 with the board burial. This is the best run of the night. Gymnastics has its Nadia. But skateboarding has Hawk. Um, and I have a backup plan if things go south, where if I lose speed on one thing, I know I can do this other thing to get back into it, to regain that momentum or to regain that, that sense of balance. If I fall going straight to this thing, because this thing is way more risky and that's the only way you're gonna make up for a fall. Um, all those are in my head. And when I drop in, I feel like everything has closed around me. I can hear the music usually because it's something I've chosen. So I'm, I'm getting into that. That helps me to relax. And I don't know how to explain it. It all sort of happens um, like an out-of-body experience. It happens and I'm watching it happen. I'm in control of it. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, that worked. Oh, this one worked. Try this. And then that worked. And in both of those instances, these, those are two, like I said, those are two ones that stick out. Both of those instances were like, try anything because everything is working. And I made everything. The sport is the biggest winner. Tony Hawk is its greatest champion. Tony Hawk is why the bleachers are filled tonight. That's a fantastic description. I'm enjoying chatting with you so much. There's something you said there, Tony, that normally you dreaded being told to drop in. Why is that? Uh, just because that's the moment you're waiting for. That's the moment that, that where everything comes, where, <laughs> where you're expected to perform. It's the, it's the only run you have to make that whole day is that one when they say go and you're being judged. And so that's a lot of pressure. And, and like you're, you're dreading getting to that moment. And then once you're in the moment, if things are working, it's the best thing ever. And how did you deal with that pressure and expectation? You know, it was described, I was reading an article that was describing, it said Michael Jordan is the Tony Hawk of basketball. <laughs> So that, that, that's how big, Tony, you are and you were. How did you deal with that expectation? Because so many people would go to the X Games, or the, I think they were the extreme games early doors when there was all sorts of weird stuff in them. I can remember watching them. Um, it's like I said, I, I, just, I would just practice so much and, and have that, that consistency and know what I was going to do well, not well in advance, but but way before the day came, and and so I just knew that I, I'm 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 a well-oiled machine, so I'm ready to take on that challenge. And and yeah, sure, there's extra pressure because you might be the only name that anyone knows when they show up. Um, and and as far as ESPN's concerned, you're the big focus of the whole event, and so that gets that gets old. But I don't let those things distract me. Tony, frequent listeners to this show will know I have a couple of young kids who love to ask questions of the guests. You now get the question from my eight-year-old, whose name is Mac, but he operates Tony, for some unknown reason to me, as the Big Penguin. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Hi, Tony. Big Penguin here. All the kids at my school are so excited about you being on the podcast because lots of them love skating. I've got a smooster. You might not know what that is, 
It's basically a surfboard on wheels. You can do really cool turns and carves on it. I haven't had a huge stack on it yet. But what I would like to know, what's the biggest stack you've ever had on your skateboard? <laughs> uh, my biggest stack was um, in 2003, I was shooting an episode of Wild Boys, which was an offshoot of Jackass. And we were doing a thing because they, they had a, um, oh, what, a chimpanzee that could skate. <laughs> and so we met at a ramp and skated with this chimpanzee. And then uh, me, Bob Bernquist, dressed up like chimpanzees and skated. And then we went to do his loop ramp, um, which is something that, that I've done many times. Um, but not at his house and his loop ramp was, was a little bit weathered and it was a little bit slower than what I expected. Um, and I ended up falling from the top Ooh. and breaking my pelvis. Breaking your pelvis? Yeah. Yeah. And that was a bad day. The 900. Tell me about the odyssey of the 900. How many years was it on your radar trying to attempt that one trick? And firstly, mate, for those that don't understand your sport, explain to me what the 900 is. It was like it was like the four-minute mile. Uh, 900 is a, is a two-and-a-half spin rotation in the air. So you come up the you come up on the side of a ramp, spin around two and a half times. So you're coming up forward and then you're coming down forward again. Going for a huge trick. Tony Hawk trying to spin two and a half rotations around and that would be a 900. Look at his eyes. He spotted and he knew that he was going to be able to pull it off. Um, it's something that I first tried around 1988, 89 because I had done, I had learned 720s in 1985. And of course the, the natural progression of that would be to what could be next is the 900. Um, and I tried it off and on through the years. Sometimes I would fixate on it, I would focus on it. I would get a camera crew and I would try it. And I got really close around 1990, 1994. I actually, maybe 1990. No, 1996. In 1996, I got really close. I, I put one down on the wall and I fell into the, into the flat bottom and broke my uh, rib. And so I kept chasing it. And, and then a couple of times I would try it um, through those years and finally just kind of gave up on it because, you know, I, I had basically pushed as far as I could and ended up breaking my rib. And then... Um, 1999, they had the X Games, uh, they added a best trick event to the X Games. And we had done other events with best trick events at them, but they weren't X Games. So there was a hard rock series and they'd have a, hard, they'd have a best trick event after the competition. And usually it was just a sideshow of everyone just kind of jumping in, trying the hardest stuff. And a couple of people would make stuff and huh. that was it. It wasn't, wasn't a highlight of the event. And so at X Games, uh, when they invited the, the best trick, uh, contestants, I, I didn't really think much of it. I thought, oh, I have a couple of tricks that I think would be, would work. Um, I have one that I've only made once in my life and that's my best trick. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. Um, and the trick was a varial 720. So it's basically a 720 in the air while turning my board an extra half a turn. Uh, and like I said, I only made it once before. So I figured within this 20 minute time limit, I could probably make one then. And that would be it. And I made the trick within about 10 minutes of the, of the whole competition. Right. And so from there, the clock's still running. 
I had no other plan. And um, the announcer, Dave Duncan, was was like, well, why don't we see a 900? Because he'd see me trying. Okay, everybody, we want to hear everybody in the house right now. Boys, girls, ladies and gentlemen, wrap it up our best Chris podcast. But don't forget, you're going to pick the winner. Right now, Tony's got a shot at it. Can he do it? Let's see it. And my first thought was, wait, why? I, can't, I haven't made one. I don't, you know, I don't know if this is, this is the time. And so really just for, to show the crowd what it looked like, I started trying. I had no intention of making it that night. I started trying them. Yeah, keep it on, keep it on, 900, 900. This could be it. Oh, the one. And about after the fourth or fifth try, I realized that I had a consistent spin. I was getting consistent speed because the ramp was better than almost any ramp we'd ever skated. And I thought, well, you know what? If I'm ever going to try to land it again, it might be now because everything was in place. And so I started to, I tried to commit to one exactly like I did when I broke my rib and I fell forward, but I fell forward in a way that I was okay. And then I thought, what if I lean my weight a little bit back during the spin to sort of compensate for this leaning forward thing? And so I did that on the next attempt and when I landed, I fell backwards. Nine, 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 nine. Oh, <laughs> and that was when I knew I could do it because I had already gone one way with it. I went the other way with it. I got to find that middle ground for the balance. And I made it the next try. Everybody picture it. Here we go. Feel it. The energy on the clip watching it is extraordinary. So it's 10 years, it's this holy grail, you finally land it. You know, what are you going I through there? Because there's skaters just- I thought it was, fa- I didn't think it was real. I, I really, I really, I didn't realize that I had done it until I was riding up the next wall. And as I came down from the next wall, the whole, all of my peers were rushing towards me on the on the ramp and everyone's throwing their arms up. And it was like, did that really just happen? Tony Hawk, everybody! Yeah, it is! I've been trying this trick for so long that I almost gave up on it. And um, it was surreal. I mean, it was it was just a wild, it was, it was wild. And, and the other part about that is that the time for the competition had already run out. So I really didn't think it counted. I just wanted to do it. And I, and I felt like I was either going to do it that night or get taken away in an ambulance. Huh. Those are the only two options. Those are the only two outcomes of that night. If it weren't for you people, I would have never made that. Thank you. Thank you. This is the best day of my life. I swear to God. And what did it do to Tony Hawk Inc., so to speak? It was surreal. It was, it was, it, 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 it just by chance coincided with the release of our first game. Um, so obviously that put me and the game on the radar of a more mainstream audience right away. Um, a lot of people think this is, this is some 
this this great plan and then <laughs> this was all the strategy and and I wish that I had that much foresight to be able to do something like that. I really do. I mean, that would be amazing if I could somehow be that manipulative or, or, or that uh, thought out. It was all just this happy, perfect storm. And then the, the game got released. And I remember, I remember that I, I, this is, this will show you how, how sort of the, the, the context of it yep. was the day after that I did that, I emailed the president of Neversoft and I said, I said, Hey, Joel, I know you guys are getting near the end of the game, but I finally, I, like I just did my first 900 last night and I think you should consider trying to get that move in the game. Cause it wasn't in the game as a move. Cause I hadn't done it. And I never forget. He sent me a reply right away. And he just said, way ahead of you, you fucking rule. <laughs> and so they, they basically had only a couple weeks to get that trick in the game for the final release. Back to Tony in a moment. Alrighty, next up on the Howie Games, next Thursday, five-time winner on the US PGA Tour, Mark Leishman. Now, Mark is a really low-key, unaffected operator. He takes us inside the ropes of the US PGA Tour, playing alongside the likes of Tiger Woods and all the big names, about dealing with pressure and overcoming all sorts of hurdles. But the part that really got me was when Mark, whose wife Audrey is now thankfully healthy and happy, the part that hit me was when Mark talked about Audrey's fight for her life. So she, she gets she gets really sick. Um, you mentioned there that you, you, you were told she wasn't going to make it. Like, where does that conversation come from? Is that with you and Audrey? Without, well, yeah. Like, how does that happen, mate? I can't imagine. So, yeah. So what what happens is you'd go into a conference room with the doctors, um, and they basically sit you down and tell you what's going on. Um, she was, it was weird. She was in a coma, but she was still, she had the tube down her throat, but she was still conscious and she could text to communicate. So she's looks like she's okay, but so we get that news and then have to go back in there and she's like, you know, on the phone, am I going to be okay? And I've had to just blatantly lie to her. It's like, yeah, you're going to be all right, but you're going to have to fight, like, you're really sick, but you're going to have to fight. And she, so before she got put into the coma, she couldn't actually say goodbye to the boys, um, to, to our kids. And I think that's what she had that determination to try and speak to them again. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty ordinary times. Um, yeah, I remember being at the hospital pretty much nonstop. I didn't sleep for seven days. I didn't eat. I couldn't eat. Um, you know, I tried to eat a toasted cheese sandwich one day I got one bite and couldn't even get it down um there's you know corner of a hospital ward she was her room was in a good spot it was right at the end I'd just go around the corner and cry it was it was pretty bad yeah so uh, but then you got to go home and still be strong for your kids that's Mark Leishman up next Thursday on the show all right let's get back to Tony so how did how did like the video game, you are the video game. You're the start of that revolution, which is quite extraordinary. Does someone ring you up one day at Birdhouse and say, we're thinking about a video game? Or how does it take place, Tony? Um, I had been, uh, I had been uh, asked by a PC programmer to help him shop the idea of a skateboard video game around 
because he had a, an engine with a with a guy skating around and there had been no video games out for years at that point. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go to meetings with you. Why not? I mean, I, I would love to work on a video game. It'd be awesome. And so we went to a bunch of meetings. Um, we came up against a lot of, um, a, a lot of pushback. People were not interested there. They, they said that the quotes were skateboarding is not even popular. Why would a video game about skateboarding be popular? <laughs> um, so this is around 1996, 97, maybe. And so he finally gave up. He was so frustrated with, with how our meetings were going. But he, he, I remember him calling me and he said, you know, I think that ultimately this will be good for you because you planted a seed with these video game companies that you want to work on a game. And if someone does get to do a game, they'll probably call you up. And about a year later, that happened. And so Activision called me and said, we're working on a skate game. We would love your input or, you know, we'd love you to get involved. So I drove up to Santa Monica. Uh, I had a very official board meeting with a bunch of suits and me just in my skate gear. <laughs> and uh, they were giving me a PowerPoint on, on marketing and demographics and possibilities. And I just was like, okay, sure. But, you know, let's see the game. They finally brought in this PlayStation and it was a very, very early version of, of what the engine became. But you could immediately do ollies and kickflips and, and grabs. And it was, it was intuitive. It felt fun already, even though it was literally just skating around this wasteland. And I signed on right away. I was like, this, this is going to be the most fun for a skater to play. And that was the goal. The goal was to have a game that skaters were excited about. And I think there's sort of maybe, is there 18 titles? Uh, yeah, I now? mean, there's been so many because there's so many systems and there's been there's been phone versions and so yeah, there have been many incarnations. So how many how many Tony Hawk Pro Skaters? I don't know if there's a number. Like how many how many have been sold? I, I honestly don't know. I know when we were in our heyday, especially over ten years ago, they had done a billion in sales. A billion of the game. Yeah, um, that doesn't mean that. I got that money, <laughs> but I'm never going to complain about the money I got. And I don't want to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, delve into those details. But this so often happens. I don't know if it happened with you. You can tell me yes or no. When it was in its early iteration, was there ever a buyout come in where they said, "Right, Tony, we'll just keep doing this game, and we'll flick you a certain amount, and that'll cover anything to cut royalties out"? Or did that not happen? Um, that happened. That happened right when the first game was being released. Right. They, they said, uh, hey, we'll, we'll offer you uh, half a million dollars if you want to not worry about royalties. And at that time, that was crazy. You know, yeah. to say half a million dollars to someone in my position who wasn't making money, who had struggled through the last probably 10 years or so, um, or, you know, probably five years prior to that, that sounds like saying a billion dollars. Right, because I'd never heard anyone offer that much money to me, and um, I was tempted, but at the same time, I had just bought a new house. I was finally not worried about where my next paycheck would come from, not worried about making mortgage payments, and I said, "No, nah, I'd rather just let it ride. I believe in the game. You know, I'd love to see how it does, and I'm for sure that was the best financial decision of my life." 
There's a lesson to be learned there, though, about backing yourself and having belief, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I think so. Um, it did feel like gambling, though, for sure. The Tony Hawk Foundation now, you've done some tremendous work with charity as well, which I really wanted to get to. I know we're getting tight on time. T- tell me about the genesis of it. And it's a unique thing you're doing by creating skate parks for kids that wouldn't have the opportunity to skate. Like there's no better way for a bloke that's made a a fantastic living and life out of skating to provide the opportunity for others. I think it's really cool, Tony. Oh yeah, thank you. That's the work I'm most proud of. Is it? Um, We've actually changed the name. It's it's now called the Skate Park Project because um, it wasn't about me. And a lot of times people were mistaken that somehow if it was Tony Hawk Foundation that I was funding it all. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm in Burlington, Vermont. I'm here to celebrate the grand opening of our 500th Tony Hawk Foundation skate park. You guys hyped? Yeah! And so the idea that that it's much more of a global, uh, a global goal to provide skate parks to underprivileged areas and underserved areas is more apt to be called the skate park project. You know that that is more fitting with the mission of what we're doing. And to date, we've, well, we've gone, we've been going almost 20 years and uh, we have developed over, helped to fund over 900 skate parks and Hmm. given away over $10 million. So when you go to one of these skate parks and it's opened and then you see kids that were like you 30, 40 years ago, skating on the park that you and your organization created, how does it make you feel? It's, it's, it's the work I'm most proud of. I mean, if I if I were to ever say what it what would I want for my legacy, that's it. The idea that I helped to provide skate parks to uh, places where they probably never expected to have one, and places where kids chose to skate but were not supported in doing so. And it all stems from the fact that I got to I got to grow up near one of the last skate parks in the U.S. And that was my home away from home. That's, that was my salvation. That's where I found my community. That's where I developed my skills. That's where I developed a lot of my life lessons. I mean, the skate parks are not meant to be create breeding pro skaters. They're just meant to be a place to feel belonged. And now, well, it was meant to have been that the skateboarding was at the Olympics. Like if I'd said to you in 1980, mate, Stick with the skating because it's going to be at the Olympics one day. Like, you would have laughed me out of California, Tony. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's long overdue. It's been a long time coming. And when people say, like, what do you feel about that? Like, isn't that a great opportunity? And yes, it's a great opportunity for skateboarding's, um, for skateboarding's recognition, especially internationally, um, and the awareness it's going to create. But at the same time, like, Come on. There's how many more swimming events can you have? Like you got you know what I mean? Kids skate. Like skating is is an international phenomenon. There are more skaters, there are more people participating in skating than are participating in most summer Olympic sports. And so it's not like we need their validation. They need our cool factor. They need our audience. And they finally figured it out. And how do you deal now with the adulation that yeah, my young bloke was saying to you at the start that he was stoked you're on the show, the big penguin, and he was telling his schoolmates, and I'm not sure who was more excited. And it was really nice that the eight year olds were pumped and knew all about you, but their dads, my age, were pumped and knew all about you. So you've crossed generations. What's it like for you now when you get 
mums and daughters and sons and fathers come up and have stars in their eyes and want to talk to you, Tony Hawk, the skateboarder? It's unreal. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm so, I feel so lucky that I get to still participate in this and that I get to see it grow like this and see it transcend generations. Um, I'm still amazed that, that people recognize me or that they want to talk to me because I grew up as an outcast skateboarder. Hmm. I grew up as an outcast in an outcast activity. <laughs> and so to have any kind of recognition or to people think that I'm relevant is, is amazing. And, and I don't take it for granted. I appreciate all of it. Um, but I also love that it is available to a new generation and it has come to a place where it's encouraged by an older generation. And so parents are skating with their kids and that just didn't happen in my, in my generation. That was not, that never happened. I'd love to know where you think the sport is going. We've seen surfing change in the last three years incredibly, but rather than me ask you, now you get my 10 year old daughter, Sky, who operates as the pickle. Are you ready for this tone? Okay, yep. Hi Tony, Pickle here. We're super excited you're on the show. When I'm surfing, I can picture doing a floater, but I just can't quite get it right. Has there been any tricks on the skateboard that you can picture in your mind, but you just can't quite get? Wow, that's a very good question. The trick that has eluded me all these years is an Ollie 720. And that would be going up back, going up the ramp backwards, doing two spins in the air without grabbing the skateboard. Um, it's been done over straight gaps, like these kind of jumps, yeah. but it's never been done on an actual uh, quarter pipe or vert ramp. And I got kind of close in my day, but I just know that's not in the cards for me, not at my age. And, and honestly, I don't really have the energy to chase it. So that's the trick that got away. And do you see a, what's the next progression in skateboarding? You know, Usain Bolt took us to another level of sprinting. Uh, probably Medina now has taken us to another level of surfing. Who and what is going to be the next itineration of skateboarding, do you reckon? I think it's going to be that that you see skaters coming from the most unlikely places in terms of international participation, places like Africa, um, in in the East, uh, even in the Middle East. There's a, there's a skate program in Afghanistan, um, and so the idea that we've totally leveled the playing field, skating is as inclusive as ever. Anyone's welcome to do it, and it's an international language. Um, I think that's the silver lining of this whole inclusion into the Olympics. Tony, I have two more questions for you. I know you've got to go. I normally finish by asking about some advice for kids, but before we do that, you've become a tremendously successful businessman. And we're lucky on this show to have business leaders listen and kids listen. So let's start with the business side of things. You're walking into a meeting of executives that want to have success in their business life. You've had an incredible business life. What are you saying to them? Um... I'm saying to them, keep control of your brand, stay the course, um, and follow your passion. If, if you're really doing what you love, at some point you could be successful at it, but that's just going to be incidental to getting to do what you love. And I feel like that is the mark of success, is getting to do what you love for a living and, and something that you would do for free, like me. I, I would skateboard for free any day of the week. It's absurd that I get paid the amounts that I do to ride my skateboard. Um, and I feel like anyone in a business that has become their passion would feel the same way. It'd be amazing if your sales go through the roof, but if they're just enough to stay in business, that's good enough. 
And with the skateboarding, do you picture somewhere down the line, you're not gonna be able to skate anymore. Do you picture that in your mind? Do you block that out? Do you fear that? Do you embrace that? The day that Tony Hawk, I don't know, you might be 116 at this point, Tony, but when you can't skate anymore? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't look so far down the road. I never have. Uh, I know that if I feel like I'm able to stand on my two feet, I'll be able to ride my skateboard in some form and that's good enough. I don't really, I don't expect to be skating at this level all my life or maybe even for the next five or 10 years, but I'm still good at it. I'm still progressive. And so, yeah, I'm going to do it at this level for now. Um, but later on, I, you know, maybe I'll just want to carve and cruise and I won't be on display while I do it, but I'll still do it just to to feed my soul. And now you're walking into the Bowen Heads Primary School where I live and there's all these kids with stars in their eyes and they want to achieve something in their life, Tony, whether it be a musician or a skater or a doctor or a scientist or a builder. And they're saying, Tony, we want to have some success in life. What would you say to us? And this is probably the most important question I have for you, really. I think uh, it's to, to find what your passion is, follow that, but also learn everything about it. Any auxiliary uh, techniques or anything about the industry even stuff that, that maybe doesn't interest you but is included in that, learn everything about it because it's going. that's going to be your advantage in the end. Just because you're good at it, that might not be good enough to succeed. But the idea that you have dove in all the way and committed yourself to whatever this is, this industry or this goal or this art form, that you have, that you can talk the talk on every level, that's what it's going to take to succeed. Tony, this podcast was aimed to be inspiring and motivational. I was that pumped about the opportunity to speak to you. You've been brilliant. You've been above and beyond with your time and your stories. People are going to love this episode. Hopefully we get to meet in person at some stage when you come to Melbourne and do your shows. But Tony Hawk, thank you so, so much for just blowing me away on the Howie Games. You're a star, mate. Hell yeah. Thanks, Howie. What a truly brilliant A brilliant hour and a half that was for me to talk to Tony. An absolute privilege. I was pinching myself throughout. I hope you all loved it as much as I did chatting with Tony. Thanks to Das, as always, for making it happen. He's a star. Now, a special shout-out to someone who, for various reasons, I can't name. Let's call them the super producer. Anyway, the super producer has helped me get Tony on the show, helped me get Wazim Akram on the show, and he's lining up some more seriously, seriously high-profile international guests. This cat's black book of contacts would absolutely blow your mind. I appreciate it. All right, until next Thursday. That's next Thursday with Mark Leishman. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener